and it's like it's funny because I get a little defensive when I say I was obsessed with fairies because it's not like the Victorian butterfly fairy people. It's like it's like the original like mythology that scared the shit out of people in, in Ireland. Hey, this is the big story. Thanks for listening. It feels like I just recorded last week's intro. I mean, the whole week has been a blur. I committed the entirety of last week to writing a revision guide for my novel. And now it's over 37 pages. And <laughs> I don't know if this is too much or not enough, but uh, I've never done this type of uh, approach to a draft before. Typically, I've just been focused on a specific element, whether it's voice or setting, but this was more addressing core elements of the book that I felt that I needed to give them some proper attention. So this time next week, I should be writing the draft. And if I'm not, then I better have a good excuse for you. I don't know. It's it's a beast. When I do this type of work, I wonder and hope that I'm not distracting myself, which I have like a PhD in self-distraction. But when I do this work, I can see how effective it is. And I'm sure it will reflect in the actual reading of the book. I'm still plugging in the comic book. I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to take away any of the, uh, the early energy that's happening from this. So maybe I'll write something on, uh, on my sub stack, which will be a little more about it. So if you subscribe to that, expect something there. If not, go subscribe to it. it just uh, look up J. Alex Morrissey on Substack and you'll find me. Um, I didn't mention this week's guest. It's uh, Caitlin Yarsky. And I'm super excited. I found Caitlin through probably somebody else who is a member of Helioscope. And I love her work. It's not hard to tell when somebody has great fundamentals and she's got them in spades. She's just one of those creators that you can see so many great things in what they're doing. And the more that I talked with her, it was abundantly clear that she has a lot more to offer to the medium. I was a bit relentless on my (laughs) encouraging her to write stuff because even though she is clearly doing it and I'm absolutely certain that it's going to be great but i was repeatedly hitting the subject of uh back into her court while we were talking so uh, apologies caitlin you uh you totally are going to crush your own creator own project um anyway this is me and caitlin yarsky how long have you been at helioscope um i've been there for about a year or so maybe a little longer okay yeah, so I, I moved to Portland like a year and a half ago. So okay, um, I'm originally from Long Island, and then I was in upstate New York for a long time, and then I was in Baltimore for a little bit, uh, and then I decided to, to try out Portland. Cool. Where in the island? Huntington. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I I went to SVA, so lots of <laughs> lots of friends are on the island as a result. That's a great and... school, I hear. Yeah, it's gotten to be quite the uh, 
the art academy. It was great, but I don't think it had the reputation it does have now. Yeah. And then we're upstate? Oh, Rochester? It's wow. A, okay, so way upstate. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I went to school. I went to RIT, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was one of the schools, like when the, you know, when the go off to art school kind of thing mm-hmm. comes around. So why, why uh, I mean, I love Portland and there's a ton of comic book people there, mm-hmm. but why Portland? <laughs> well, you just answered it because there's a bunch yeah. of comic book people there. I mean, it, it, it's like here, like I kind of was, you know, digging a little bit to see where everybody was and it is mostly decentralized, you know, everybody's everywhere, but there's mm-hmm. a couple places, you know, like uh, LA, Toronto, Portland. And I just thought, well, I think Portland feels the most you know, yeah. it's the best for me. So, um, and I have a couple of friends out here. So yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a fantastic city and it is, I think Portland is what Atlanta was in the nineties mm-hmm. with the comic book creator scene. And then what New York city was forever before that. Yeah. I mean, I was in New York, uh, for a couple of years and, and I just realized that like everybody was leaving because it's too mm-hmm. expensive to live there. Yeah. So people were going to like Pennsylvania and like other places because they just couldn't. So that kind of squashed that for me. I was just like, oh, we have this big community in New York. And then I was really, it's like, nobody can afford to stay here. It's all finance people. <laughs> so. It's, it's funny. Like my first apartment was, I found it in the Sunday New York times classified section. Mm-hmm. Like my buddy, my art, my buddy from art school, um, he's like, Hey, let's get a place. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go get the newspaper and open up the real estate section and look, you know, for rentals. And I'm like, I think we can afford that. And so we went there and looked at it and we said, sure, we'll take it. And that was that. And you know, I, I think it's, oh my God, a completely different world, but you could, you know, you could scrape out your, your living and yeah. live in Manhattan and be an artist probably until the late nineties. That was kind of a, uh, maybe in the early two thousands, but it, uh, it certainly is not like that anymore. Yeah. It seems like a pattern where, you know, a city accrues a bunch of artists and writers and musicians because it's cheap to live there, all that stuff. And then they, their presence makes it a cool hot spot. And then all the people with money move to that spot and then nobody can live there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's happened here in Asheville. It's not the, I mean, it was the cool, I don't know. I mean, it was like, you know, the, the micro Portland of the yeah. East coast and it just, you know, my, my wife is a, uh, is an artist and I just watch her get pushed out from location to location every, you know, five years. Yeah. It's like, good luck. <laughs> we want this place. We want this building now time for you to go. Thanks for all the, the creativity. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be taking this now. Curious about Portland and how it will sustain that. Well, it's not, I mean, it's the same story as it is everywhere. Like it's too expensive to live here. This is the most I've ever paid for an apartment. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, it's going the same direction, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit slower than New York or San Francisco, but um, it's, it's getting there. Yeah. It, I guess part of it is good in, in a sense that like it does force you to stretch yourself like and push yourself like i have to figure this out so you do the things that you can do and so it does build some sort of resilience and strength within certain people others it doesn't and but it the the downside is it makes it impossible for somebody who is new to say hey i want to move to portland and be an artist it's i don't know how you do it yeah I mean, luckily you don't have to anymore or be anywhere. Like you can, you can do whatever you want from wherever you want, but it's, you know, in terms of comics anyway, but like, it really is just a bummer because it's, you know, when, when you have a job so isolating, you know, it's nice to be around other people who do comics, Mm -hmm. but then of course, you know, your choices are three extremely expensive cities. Um, (laughs) You know, so like it's, it's, you don't have a ton of choice if you really want to you know, so I think a lot of people just get their socializing through comic cons, you know? Yeah. I mean, there, I think it was a comedians and cars getting coffee. And I think it was Jerry Seinfeld talking to, I think Chris rock and they were sort of retelling a tale when they saw each other at uh, some gathering. And it's all these people who are like, donors and money people and they look across the room and they see each other and they run over and they grab each other by the arms and go comedian and because like they found their person and you know and i'm you know i have not drawn a comic book in this millennia but my comfort and affinity for hanging out and talking with fellow creators of the comic book world is genetic at this point so i go i got my oh you know so yeah yeah i mean that's a lot of the reason i think we do comic cons it's like they don't necessarily pay enough like sometimes you don't even make any money or you lose money you know but it's Mm -hmm. more about just seeing other people in comics and getting to hang out and commiserate and (laughs) and listen hopefully find the person who says hey i've been meaning to talk to you and then something cool happens yeah so Long Island, born and raised? Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. And uh, when I was six, we moved to Nyack and then Long Island. Uh, okay. So I was most, mostly in Long Island, yeah. All right, cool. And just you as a kid or do you have siblings? Uh, it's complicated. <laughs> nice. I, parents... no, I'm, I'm super complicated as well, so cool. Okay. So my parents uh, got married at like 20, had me at 24, divorced by 25, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, you know, and then my mom would move someplace. Oh, and then I met my step parents when I was just a little baby, like a like a toddler. So I've known mm-hmm. my step parents my whole life. So then they, my mom and stepdad would uh, they had a son, and they would and they moved to Nyack, and then my dad followed so that I could see both of them. And then she moved again to Huntington <laughs> with my stepdad, and then and my brother, and then my dad moved again, and then my mom and stepdad divorced when I was eleven. And my mom and my half-brother Dylan moved to New Jersey and my stepdad moved to New York City. And then I just stayed on Long Island with my dad and stepmom. So gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. I get it. I was it's a lot um, to follow. 
don't know, man. I think these things help us understand narrative at a very young age. We, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can, we can kind of, we can figure out timelines and personalities pretty quick when it's not this sort of like, this is us and locked in family kind of deal. Um, yeah. hey, extra credit points for your dad for, uh, for keeping it close. Yeah. Yeah. It was good of him. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But I think, no I think kidding. once she was in New, New Jersey, he was just like, I, I, I <laughs> like I, we've already, you know, cause at, at that point I think I was, they were, uh, they were settling down to the point where like, I think when I was like 13, they had my half brother, Dil- Ned. And then when I was 17, my sister, Una, so they were, they were settled in Huntington by that. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. So I have much, much younger siblings now. <laughs> well, that's cool. You can, you, you can be a, a guidepost for some yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so were you, I mean, not to, I mean, I can probably predict that you were a clever, creative kid and you, you drew a lot. I drew a lot. I, uh, I did okay in school. You know, school was a little bit hit and miss because I mean teachers were just like she's a dreamer my parents were like yeah we know <laughs> so like <laughs> I was pretty much just like in my own world uh you know so it, it's it's not all great to be that way but mm-hmm. yeah I, I pretty much would have been drawing since I was a little kid do you remember what you you were exploring yeah that's a good question I was obsessed with fairies Okay. So there's a book called Fairies by Brian Froud and Alan Lee. Yeah. Um, from the, the 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's the best. Hey, can, I, can we curse on here? Um, Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's fucking amazing. And I still think it's one of the most beautiful books ever made. It's, mm-hmm. And it's like, it's funny because I get a little defensive when I say I was obsessed with fairies because it's not like the Victorian butterfly fairy people. It's like, it's like the original, like, mythology that scared the shit out of people in in ireland you know what i mean like they were scary they were scary and they were numerous and they were weird like up there with like not quite as weird as like the japanese um you know demons and stuff but like Mm -hmm. pretty weird you know so i was really obsessed with that book um my stepmom gave me and when i was really little i drew a lot of (laughs) a lot of princesses with elephant and duck heads uh, that was my big thing. <laughs> that was, really was your jam. <laughs> that was my jam before I got into fairies. <laughs> yeah. That book is, I mean, I'm sure there is a copy of it within, you know, eight feet of me in nice. this, where I'm sitting. I mean, we, we, my old wife is a, that was a staple in her house growing up along with the, uh, the gnomes book. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, those books are just phenomenal, but yeah. Have you been to Ireland or Scotland? No, not yet. Okay. Into the UK, you, but I haven't been to Ireland. It is, I mean, when you go, the whole fairy mound, that all that stuff will just come flooding back in. It's it's really a, it's spectacular. Yeah. I mean, hey, Ireland's awesome, but Scotland rules. <laughs> I keep seeing um, stuff on my feed for Edinburgh, so I guess I have to go to Edinburgh next. Yeah, you won't you won't see a lot of fairies there, but it's very cool. Okay. Yeah. It tracks. I mean, I, I was, it, you know, all my sort of like teacher, you know, r- r- things, me just lost in the clouds as a kid and, do, you know, way more interested in what's happening at the end of my pencil on the paper than the rest oh, of the yeah. room. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm sure the teachers are far better at figuring it out now than they were 20 years oh, ago. Yeah. 
Oh, there's so many issues that I think about, like, not just with me, but with other students where I think, oh, man, we know so much more about like mental health and trauma and all sorts of things now that like hopefully is being translated into public school, you know, situations where they know how mm-hmm. to handle it better. But back then, man, not so much. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, character, Bill character, character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna sure. say that's what it did. It built character. So what doesn't kill you makes you stranger, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess off to RIT, what was your what was your vision of your future heading off to art school? Whew, good question. Um I I wanted to get a job. I I felt like <laughs> yeah, you I, went to art school. I, I will. That's the reason I went to RIT because I, I got into other schools and I was like, I could go to this art school or that art school, but I'm worried that it's not going to get me prepared for anything. And so I was looking at like how they had like a mandatory business class and everything. And I, my heart was in the right place. Like, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know how else I would have, but um, I wish I'd chosen Christy. I don't know why I was like, I should go to RIT, but I just, I think I thought, I needed to find a school that would teach me skills outside of art, you know, like that would teach me how to, how to be a business yeah. person with art because it, it didn't seem like a lot of the art schools cared about that. They kind of just spat people out with really nice portfolios and no idea how to connect with anybody or talk or, you know, get themselves out there. So that was my main motivation. Um, my first school actually was Bennington college. I don't know why, I mean, I have teenagers making all these decisions. That's just like, it's crazy. <laughs> expensive but I went to Bennington, courses. really expensive decisions. I went to Bennington College for a year and I was like, this is not for me. It was like 600 people in the middle of nowhere in Vermont <laughs> right. and just like hippie town galore. And like, I, it's fine, you know, everything against hippies, but I was just like, there was nothing to do. There was like, there were like three clubs, one of which was like the Naked Activities Club. And I was just like, <laughs> get out of here so <laughs> but um yeah so then I took a, a, a gap year and then I transferred to RIT yeah, I get that instinct maybe there is this need to do what you're supposed to do yeah I just you know I know how hard it is not at, I mean at the time I didn't know quite how hard but I, everybody had warned me how hard it was to make a living mm-hmm. in art and my parents you know my dad and stepmom were both artistic people like my dad was a singer songwriter and my stepmom did some acting in new york city in the theater and um you know neither of them quote unquote made it commercially and so i could just i and they were were both really hardworking people so i just thought okay there's this is really hard to do and Mm -hmm. to like not it's not just you don't just like get the skills you're not like a plumber where you get the skills and then you just have a job and you you have the security you know it's like right there's a whole other side to this. So, um, yeah, I thought that maybe going to the school would be like, they'll teach me how to do that, which they didn't really, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I learned it later. So. Yeah. You wanted to get a job, but did you have like a vision plan of what kind of work you wanted to do? No, I mean, I, I started off with fine art when I was in high school. I went to this art school called the Huntington School of Fine Arts, and I learned like you know oil painting and figure drawing and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of had a little bit of a head start there. Where I got to kind of like get into those kind of hardcore like fine art things. Um, and so I was I started out 
school in a fine art mentality. And then I realized I wanted to do illustration. So I was doing that. And then um, there's so many avenues to take with that, that I didn't really know where I would go with it. Um, And I kind of stumbled into games after I graduated, which is not my forte. I'm not a gamer really, but I, you know, you take what you can get. Right. So like, um, and not, not to say that I'm not grateful to be working in games. That's a really hard thing to get into too. But it was like, it was like, you know, wasn't really my passion, but I was Mm -hmm. like, this is, this is something I can get right now and I should take this opportunity. So I was lucky enough to get into this like startup thing um, that was in Rochester with like six people and learned tons of stuff on that job. I learned how to animate and I learned, you know, typography and, you know, composition, tons of stuff that, you know, um, I didn't know anything about. So I was really lucky in that regard. Um, yeah. And then it just took, it took like a decade for me to realize like, Oh, I want to do comics. (laughs) So, you know, like I thought I would do concept art for a while and I tried my hand at that and I wasn't really getting it. Um, and not only was I not getting it, but I wasn't enjoying it. So like, I was like, okay, this isn't really working. Um, ironically, I do cut some concept art now, but, uh, it took a long time for me to get the skills to be able to do concept art professionally. What was it that you didn't like? Um, well, I was doing environment stuff and (laughs) I was just not as comfortable with environments. Um, I didn't enjoy it. Like, like, you know, some of those com- comic book artists that love drawing, like, skyscraper and, and, sure. like, and like, cityscapes. I loathe drawing cityscapes. Mm. Like, if I have a cityscape in my in a script, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> no, please, no, please. <laughs> please, no. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it just wasn't, wasn't clicking. Um, and the kind, of, the kind that I was trying out to do was, like, triple A, like, photo real stuff and then I realized later people do a lot of photo bashing and I'm just not into that so mm-hmm. yeah so I was, I was trying a whole bunch of stuff I did a lot of big oil paintings like four by eight foot oil paintings of like bands but with like magical realism and then like local bands that were I was friends with because I played music with them and um that was really fun so I, I just tried so many different things and then I realized like when I was about 30 30 or 31 that I wanted to try doing comics wow okay a few things that I think about when you're talking about this is that, you know, you were saying, oh, I learned typography and animation, but like, it's so interesting that we, we enter these art programs with some with intention, some with sort of, I'm just interested in finding something, but they're so specific. Mm-hmm. This portfolio you have to build is so specific that often you don't have the skill sets outside of the, this area. So when you leave, like, no, I had no typography skills either. But then you look at the course of your work career and what you have to do and what you had to learn to stay sheltered. You have to learn all these crazy skills on top on top of what you thought, like, this is what is going to make my way in the world. Yeah. I think like, yeah. you know, I, I thought that if you get the skills to know how to draw realistically really well Mm -hmm. and, um, and paint really, really well, realistically, that that would set you up for anything, which Mm -hmm. is half true, but it's not a hundred percent true. Like that will get you pretty far, but you also need to like, if you, if you want a certain kind of job, your portfolio has to be nothing but that type of thing. Like people can't, people can't see an editorial illustration 
and be like, oh, we want to hire her for concept art for games. Like, that's not how that works. Like you, you have no. to, and I, I wish I'd known that, like, you have to have a very, very specific, like your entire portfolio has to be for one type of job. If you are mm -hmm. applying for that kind of job, otherwise people can't, they can't go past like the subject matter, which is a little weird to me. Like, I feel like people should have imaginations to be like, well, they can draw that they can do this, but it's not, that's not how it works. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are making these choices don't have that skill set. And they just look at it and they go, I need to see what I expect to see. Yeah. I think it's yeah. also like the, the time period, like, like back in the nineties, you know, animation was booming, but it was still pretty young in terms of like at being as popular as it was like, like the Nickelodeon and everything. So they, mm -hmm. you know, there'd been plenty of animation before that, but it wasn't, it wasn't commercialized to the point where they expected everybody to have a pristine animation portfolio or real or anything yeah. right like it's like it's like it's like how I, when i first started at the, the game studio that i was at this was like 15 years ago um they didn't expect me to have all, the whole portfolio set up and everything par partly because i was like entry level i was really young but also because it was a very new company and like now i wouldn't like nowadays it would i you know, 23 year old me would not have been able to get that job at that same company because mm -hmm. now they're more established and they're much bigger and they would expect you to have a whole game portfolio. Like right. it's a totally different situation now. So that's, I think it's the same with like games and film and stuff like that now is that like things have been going on for long enough and have become huge enough and lucrative enough that they just, you know, and, and more established and that now there's like schools that teach nothing but the specific subject. So now they're yeah. just like, you better have a whole portfolio that's exactly this or else, you know. But it's cool because the ability to pick up these new skill sets is a blessing. Yeah. I mean, especially just with the internet alone, you know, like you can learn so many things on your own now that were much harder to learn 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, know? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, I'm YouTube. Yeah, right. Exactly. And like, you know, if I don't know something like I, I was working in Unity earlier today and Unity is like a game engine that's pretty much like I know the the not even the tip, like a crystal of the iceberg. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and so they're like, here, can you fix this thing in Unity? And I'm like, ah, probably not, but I can try. And then I'm in there mm -hmm. and then I'll just like, I don't know what this thing is. And then you Google it and then there's a million answers for you. And it's like, you know, it's 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 information age. It's a good time. It's yeah, it, it is unbelievable. And going back to what you were saying about being able to draw or paint realistically and competently, that skill, that mastery of craft sets you up to be able to do a lot of things that aren't brush and oil paint in hand. They are skill sets where if you have to do something that has to do with color, well, you understand color. Mm -hmm. Or it has to do with composition. Well, I understand that as well. Like these yeah. things you can break apart and go, okay, I can utilize this. Yeah, that's, a, that's the trick. So, okay. You wanted to get into comic books. One, why? Two, how did you go about it? Um, I mean, I just, I love narrative storytelling. I'm just, I'm really into you know, books, film, um, all sorts of things that I just was like, oh, and, you know, I, of course I'd, I'd read some comics, but I hadn't read like superhero stuff. I'd read more like indie things, you know, Persepolis and uh, Mouse and, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and um, 
you know, stuff like that. And then when I was in college, someone gave me the Sandman and that blew my mind. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I think I thought, well, the skills that I have is drawing and I want to tell stories. So that's where I want to go. You know what I mean? Like that, that was, that was the logic, I think. Um, so yeah, I did like a 10 page short story that I wrote and drew and everything and lettered horribly. I didn't know what I was doing lettering wise. Um, and I just used that as like a portfolio piece and was like sending it around to everybody I could find and going on Facebook and seeing, you know, like, I mean, the reason I got a job was because of Facebook, honestly, because boom had, they said they had like a submission thing where they were like, submit your pages on our wall. And I did, and they didn't get, they didn't get back to me, but Sean Lewis did because hmm. he was looking for artists and he didn't know where to look either. Um, so he found my art on there and then he emailed me and we started working on coyotes. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's really kind of incredible. Yeah. Wow. Super lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a fascinating story how people do it, but going back to that mastery of craft, like you worked hard at solving the technical aspect of drawing. So, well, I mean, I, I never mastered it. Like, I, I think that's, that's well, like an ongoing well, thing. You always work on it, but that, that, that was a focus of mine. Yeah. That was like the main, I really wanted to be accurate about stuff right? because I thought that's, that's a tech, that's a, that's a technical thing that if you get that down, you can translate that to so many other things, you know? Well, you can abstract from that point. You can do a lot from that. It's hard to be an abstract artist and then have to do something realistic like that, that, you know, it should be the opposite. Not... It should be the other way around. Like you should be able to do the realistic and abstract it because that's what you're doing. You're abstracting something from something else. So like you look For at sure. Picasso in the in the art history books, the Picasso thing where he starts with a realistic bowl and then it gets more and more abstract until mm -hmm. it's just a couple of shapes, right? Um, yeah. I think a lot of people think they should just go into abstract and have no idea like how to draw an apple on a tapestry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like one of those basic like you know still still life things. It's like no, you got to do. You got to do the, the work first. You got to do that stuff. It's not fun. It's like doing your scales if you're a musician, you know, like doing. It, it runs counter to what we were talking about, the idea of the dream, you know, that that sort of that artist's dream that we have this sort of like, I want to do do my thing. And that's cool. And I get that. It's just very hard to sell everybody in the world on your specific vision versus what their needs are if you were looking to get paid to do something and that's i think that's the very hard balance if you don't want to get paid then do whatever you want oh, then do whatever yeah and let the <laughs> world cares? come to you yeah exactly yeah. so a 10-page story that you wrote yourself like you came up with the idea fairies no fairies uh wendigos okay so big furry fairies gotcha um <laughs> and then, so how long did it take you to do that one i honestly don't remember probably a few no. weeks um okay maybe a month i'm not really sure and i you know i got my friends to pose for all the characters so i had something to look at mm -hmm. um yeah um i don't remember exactly how long but probably a lot longer than things take me now <laughs> <laughs> you would hope right you would yeah hope. so you talked to Sean. I, I don't know Sean, but was Sean just getting into the business or was he? Yeah. Already... Well, he had done one series before for Image called uh, okay. Saints. So he did Saints. Um, 
And then he sent me his script. And it's funny because I feel like I got spoiled with his script because, um, although some people hate this, but I, I, he sent me a script without any panels or breakdowns of pages mm-hmm. at all. It was just a, a script. It was like a right. screenplay, right? I love that because it gave me tons of freedom and I got to kind of like think about the panels and the, um, the you know, the page layout in a totally different way and, and kind of go, go nuts with it. So I really enjoyed that. Um, it's not that way traditionally. <laughs> so um, I kind of miss that a little bit, you know, do, doing some other stuff where I'm just like, oh, they, they, they figured out where they want things breaking, you know, how they want to break things down mm-hmm. and what they want in every panel. And I used to be really upset about that because I would be like, well, I, I want to visualize my own way of doing this. Like, but right. I, that's just not, that's just the way it is. So, yeah. It's funny when I was in school, my friend was an intern at Marvel. So he would bring things back all the time, photocopies of all sorts of stuff. And this was at the time that John Romita Jr. was drawing Iron Man and John Byrne was writing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's kind of some, some big names, you know, doing a big book at the time. He brought the script back and we looked at it and it was, I don't know, maybe a page mm-hmm. for the whole issue, maybe a page and a half. Wow. And he, so Byrne just wrote out in prose mm-hmm. the story. This is mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And he let J.R.J.R. Mm-hmm. break it down how he wanted to do it and put it together. And then he would come in and then he would put his words on top of it. And all I could think of, this is the Mount Rushmore of how I want to have, because it was such a beautiful way of conceiving the process. So as you were saying, you know, going, does it have to be in this panel? Can I smash these two panels together so I can do all that kind of junk? And and say that they, you know, they usually, the writers will be like, this is just a suggestion if you want to do your Mm -hmm. own thing. But I think, I think just the fact that it's, that it's written out that way already kind of closes me, like shuts me down a little bit in terms of like what I can do and what I can't do. Like, I'm sure I could do more. Like, I think I wish I had gone back to like the Black Hammer stuff and done things a little bit more out there in terms of like panel layouts and stuff. But I think I I was like, I didn't want to mess too much with what was in there you know what i mean yeah so yeah well i mean it's like it's like elephants caitlin try not to think of elephants right (laughs) so once you read the script you're sort of kind of locked into what the uh that narrative is um Mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 fine it is fun to kind of have a little looser yeah space to Mm -hmm. create within i get that so it was coyotes Mm-hmm. And what was your what was your feeling about what you thought drawing comics was going to be and what it was when you were actually doing it? Yeah. Um I think it was pretty close actually. I feel like I, I had a general idea that it was gonna be the most arduous type of illustration I've ever done. Like it's it's just the facts. It's like the, it, the amount of drawing you do is kind of mind-boggling. Like <laughs> You know, like I've done all sorts of different kinds of illustration. I've done, you know, I've done game art. I've done, you know, paintings, large scale paintings, small drawings, like murals. You know, I've done all sorts of stuff. And but comics are the hardest, I think, because there's just so much and you have to be consistent throughout everything. And that was that was a big 
hurdle for me. I know that like characters kind of change their looks a little bit throughout the time, right. throughout the series, you know, and like, you know, I've, I've, um, figured that out since then, but it's, I did, I did most of my, I did a lot of my learning on coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is an incredibly cumbersome process, mm-hmm. you know, drawing a page. It is, it is a lot of work. Um, do you look at it now? I mean, would, would you're like five, I guess, five years into this. I'm about six or seven. Yeah. Okay. Six. Okay. Yeah. So do you look back, not specifically at the work, but do you look back thinking process wise, are there things that you have like, Oh, I, I don't have to do this. Oh, and like, can you, can, have you been able to sort of like refine it in a way that is satisfying, but not as sort of laborious? I think you kind of have to, you know, like with coyotes, oh, wait, I, you, ha- you can do that. See, I didn't know that. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I mean, they, oh, it, was tw- yeah. it was 12 to 14 hours, regardless of whatever I was trying to do, but well, ahead. yeah, I mean, that's still the same for me. Like I, that's yeah. Um, but it was even longer, much longer with coyotes just because it was my first time doing it. And I was trying to find all the references for everything. And, you know, um, I didn't know what I was doing and I was coloring and it, it was just a mess. So it, there was just no, there was not like a structure that I knew how to go off of. Um, and it, it took a really long time to finish coyotes and I just don't have the luxury of that time anymore. So um, yeah, you kind of have to learn shortcuts. Like, you know, if you're drawing the same character over and over again and look, you can try to find the same angle you've already drawn and bring it over and mm-hmm. and either draw over that or put it next to it at least so that you can compare and make sure reference it's the same, it. reference it. So um yeah, it's like little tricks like that where you just like, you know, and or you know, like you you decide, okay, I'm gonna go through all the costumes after I finish drawing. Like I'm gonna draw the people first, then I'm gonna go back and draw all the backgrounds, and then I'm gonna go back and do a consistency pass and draw all the, the details in the Shazam you know, gauntlet and stuff like, you mm-hmm. know, just making sure everything's consistent. So, um, yeah, I think you kind of have to, otherwise you're not going to meet your deadline. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so interesting how you, you approached in that, in that fashion, because that's like novel writing. So when you write a novel, you do a draft, but then you do a setting pass and then a character pass and then a language pass. So yeah. that's kind of what you're doing is where you're taking your layout, which is that first first draft, and then you're going back in and then you're setting, okay, I'm going to do my backgrounds, you know, character, I'm going to nail the costumes, language. I'm going to, and it's like you're doing this interesting refinement, which is very... Well, it's the same with like, um, you know, painting or drawing too, like when you're doing like more fine arty stuff or illustration stuff, like like the biggest rut I feel like we, we universally get into, or in art school especially, right, is... Um, we want to get into the details way before mm-hmm. we're ready to. So like our eyes are in the wrong place or the nose is way is like on the left or something. And like, you know, things are in the wrong place, but we, we want to draw all the eyelashes on the eye. And so we get so fixated on that. And then we don't want to change it. Knowing we know it's wrong, but we don't want to change it because we just put 20 hours into drawing that eye. Yeah. Um, so I've just been like, you know, I try to think of things in terms of like big blocky things first and then just slowly mm-hmm. narrow it down into details. Cause like, if you don't have the big blocky stuff figured out, everything else is going to fall apart. <laughs> I had this horrible flashback when you were saying that about those 
stupid drawings you did when you were young where you did the thing and you focused on the eye and then mm-hmm. you looked at the thing and the eye is like one half <laughs> times larger than the other eye and you can't make yep. the other eye larger because then the, it's going to look like a bug head. It, it happens even as a professional comic artist. Yeah, you like yeah, for sure. You focus on this thing. You're like, why is that hand so big? I just made this hand yeah. really big. And, and you now out, you're like, oh no, yeah, yeah. Well, but so now here you're speaking a language makes which solves the problem, which is the yeah. zoom out. Like I'm talking yeah. like you know pencil on paper, you know world yeah. where you're like, I've got to redraw this. It was a straight no, up redraw. Yeah, I, I combine those things now, like, um, when I can, like, if I have time, I'll, I'll, I'll do pencils, um, digitally, just to make sure I can block everything out where I want it. And I have things, you know, where I want the detail, I put detail and where I don't, I can make it up later, but then I'll, I'll print it out super, super light. And then I'll ink over that. And that saves a lot of fear and anxiety when it comes to like working on you know paper because like if you're just going straight from like nothing it's like so scary because you know you mess up and then you're like oh god now i gotta start all over but like if you start with like pencils digitally you print it out really light and then you're like i messed up i can print another one out and start again that way you know yeah. so it takes longer it takes too long honestly but and that's the interesting thing about as you progress from that person who, you know, did the first thing or your first comic book project, you know, we, you, you learn these tips and tricks, you learn new processes, and it's just, you keep layering on these things, which are time, they take time. And it's funny how we become less streamlined in so many ways in the things that we do, because mm-hmm. we like we were saying, you know, learning typography or whatever it is, we gain these skill sets and we want, we want to use all the tools in our toolbox when we make the thing. Right. I, I was, you were talking about like setting up the page and the timing. And so there's this comic book that I, this sort of my reference comic book that I always kind of like, this is the best comic book ever. Like when it came to drawing and I love it and it's my favorite and it wasn't until, I'm not joking, maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. maybe less than that, that I looked at it and realized that the artist did not use, you know, vanishing points in a in a straight edge to mm-hmm. draw this, this book out. It, it, it Maybe two to three panels at the most used, used actual, like, classic perspective technique draw you know tools it was all eyeballed and inferring these elements that you needed to know this is the building this is the the sidewalk or whatever and it was all done by eye and i felt so sad looking at this a that i didn't recognize this for the past 30 years b did i start with a i think i said a so a b just making sure not doing that a and then <laughs> two and this and, and b that all the time all the time that i you spent setting up my perspective lines and doing all that stuff where i knew i i know i know how to make look something 1.2.3 point just by eye mm-hmm. but i i'm like no 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 i need to put the points down and i need to... yeah it's like, it's that weird thing too. When you learn like typography, for example, or like graphic design, 
and then everything's hideous. You know what I mean? Like you look down, you go down the street and you notice all the bad curving on, on every sign, you know, and you're just like, oh no, like <laughs> I wish I didn't know that. It's like, yeah. it ruins things. Yeah. I'm guessing you're working digitally. I actually kind of knew this because I saw, I saw, I don't know how, I th- it just showed up on the YouTube feed, that video of Helioscope the other week. And you you had a digital device. I won't say, I don't know. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Um, But yeah, so it's a mix. I actually do both. Like, so I have a whole portfolio, you know, chock full of traditional pages from Coyotes, Bliss, Catwoman, Wonder Woman. Um, And for the the DC stuff, I think for those two books specifically, I did like half the issue traditionally, but then I ran out of time and had to finish it digitally. (laughs) (laughs) so um it's a mix but like i i basically like i'm you know i was talking to people and i was like i think i need to just draw traditional pages that i think would sell because i can't i i I just don't know how to do it fast enough traditionally to finish a whole issue so i feel like i just need to figure out which pages i think would be cool looking and then do those traditionally Mm. um, for later at like comic cons you know this is a question I I couldn't even answer. Someone asked me, but do you see a difference in the pages that you do digitally and traditionally in the same book? Um, I mean, I can, but okay. I've I've been told by peers that they can't. So I'm taking that as a good sign that I'm able to keep it semi consistent so mm-hmm. that it's not a jarring change. Um, okay. What programs are you working in? Um, primarily, uh, um, Clip Studio Paint. Mm-hmm. That's the program I use the most now. Um, it just has beautiful brushes and pens and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff that just, then they mix together like regular, like real, it's crazy. I don't know how they do that, but it's, <laughs> it's my favorite program and it's, and it's pretty easy to switch from Photoshop to Clip Studio, I think, because it's yeah. got a really, really similar UI. So, yeah. Yeah. I prefer Clip for drawing. Mm-hmm. over photoshop kyle does amazing brushes and mm-hmm. he revolutionized the experience of doing comic books in a digital environment but as a ground up to draw platform clip is amazing yeah it really is it is uh inking wise i think it feels much more like inking like it feels mm-hmm. very um controllable and i don't know alive which yeah. is is really kind of an, an impressive thing. But you said that you print out some of your pencil pages in blue line on paper and then you ink on top of there. Yeah. It just uh decreases the anxiety of drawing on mm-hmm. you know, I don't have I don't have to worry about like, you know, something's too big. I can't just like move it, you know, or scale it up. Mm. I have to like yeah. even need to redraw the whole thing. So I just I thought it would be a time saver. It's not quite a time saver, but it is definitely like an anxiety dampener. I, I call that changing it at Cliff Chang. That's how he does it. So he Oh so yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He he does he draws in the digital environment and then prints it out on the thing and then inks it. So that's cool. Um <laughs> but there's a lot of advantage to that. First off, let's just be honest, it leaves you with work that you can sell. Yep. And nothing nothing is going to beat a series seven Windsor Newton brush in ink. Like nothing. Like there's not a digital brush that will ever beat that in the hands of a person who can utilize it. Like it is the best tool 
for making a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I run that little magic scenario in my head of like, you know, hey, you don't have to worry about money f- forever. You want to make a comic book? I go, well, how would I do that? Because I like the digital stuff because it is super powerful and you can do a lot. But then there's the art side of it where you're like, it feels so good to sit at the table with paper and pencils and and big, long T-squares with drafting points, of course. But on a production level, it's hard to beat the whole digital world now. It's just, uh, I just don't find it practical. Like I, I can't, you know, I guess I could, but I would be making myself miserable trying to do the whole thing traditionally. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, unless I have oodles of time, um, or, or I decide which pages I want to make traditional, um, I can't do the whole thing anymore. I mean, I did most of coyotes and bliss traditionally, I think. Um, but you know, also those aren't really DC things and, you know, that's, there's not much of a fan base. So it's not like you sell a lot of those pages. So then you're just like, well, what did I do all that work for? (laughs) (laughs) You were doing it for the practice and the skills. Yeah. Getting better. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're employing your artistic abilities to create a commercial product and you have to do what you have to do to get it done to get it out into the market. And that sounds cold and ugly and horrible. And I'm sorry to everybody who has the art vision in their head about this thing, but it's a business and it's a product. And you're still drawing. It's not like you're not drawing. It's not like, it's not like you're doing AI art or anything. Like it's, you're you're, you're still, (laughs) you're still using skills. So it's, you know, um, you just don't have a final product at the end. Right. I mean, there's a lot of great people doing some phenomenal artwork only in the digital realm and they don't seem to they're not crying that they can't yeah. sell pages yeah they're just i mean crushing. a lot of people also just do commissions and that's where they do the traditional stuff you know yeah so um like most most of my traditional stuff now is is via commissions and that's nice actually because there's no deadline so i don't have any anxiety or like i'm not worried about it so mm-hmm. i can enjoy it and take my time with it yeah yeah. It's it's so funny the 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 commission world wasn't a big thing back in the 90s like it, it, especially in the you know the early 90s it was not it, it wasn't the way like so yeah. when you were saying going to a convention and sometimes not making any money or losing money like conventions were not a nobody had copies of their comic books like this it just wasn't this machine of industry mm-hmm. and you know, you you would you, know, you did sketchbook drawings. Like someone would have a sketchbook, and you would they pay you ten bucks, twenty bucks, or whatever the thing was, and you would do a drawing in their sketchbook, and that was it. And then Adam, you know, couldn't draw in enough sketchbooks, so he started raising his number, and then taking him back to the hotel. And next thing you know, there's a whole business of people making a lot of money doing you know drawings because of Mr. Yeah. Hughes. So he was a he changed the industry too in that respect, which is cool and not cool because, you know, a lot of people don't do comics because they can do commissions. Well, I think it is, I think it's, I think it's still cool because uh, comics don't really pay enough. Um, so I think whatever, whatever means people can make money doing their drawings, I think is great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's honestly, it's not really a viable, like I still work in games because if I didn't work in games, I wouldn't be sure. in Portland. 
So, I mean, not to complain. I just mean that's just the way the business is. So right. com commissions are great because it's like at least it's, it's you know, um, helps pay the bills. Yeah. I, the reason I say uncool is that everybody doesn't get to share in the the piece. Yeah, that's true. So it's where I sort of go like, ah, it's so, it's so unfortunate that there has been a huge amount of amazing artwork done by a wide range of artists that we'll never see. Yeah. Like, like there's uh, a Josh it, Middleton, uh, or there's two Josh uh, Middleton um, he's so good. Um, commissions. I know that I love so much and I wish he had like prints of them or something that like, you know, like that he could sell because they're so beautiful. There's like one of delirium from the Sandman and one of like mm. poison Ivy and they're both so beautiful. And I was just I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I got to see them because they're online because you can just put everything online now, but like to have a copy of that would be really nice. Right. That's an interesting thought as like, if the artist would scan the artwork mm -hmm. and then, offer these things as prints or, or limited edition kind of stuff that that would be kind of cool too. I mean, because it's a, because when you do see these pieces, you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, that someone like did this and, and it's not a cover and it's not an interior piece. So we'll never, you know, it'll never sort of see the world. Um, yeah. And Josh is amazing. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. That's good stuff. So um, helioscope, you know, you show up at the bus stop a year and a half ago with your, your beaten up luggage and your Cintiq <laughs> under your arm and, uh -huh. you know, and, and then get a, get a single room occupancy, you know, at, down at the flop house. <laughs> what is it? The forties? <laughs> <laughs> In my mind it is. And, um, okay. So you arrive. So like what happens when you, when you hit the, hit the mean streets of Portland? Um, well, I mean, I, I got like a U-Haul box thing, you know, where you mm -hmm. put everything in a big box and then they ship it. So I moved over uh, and met the boxes there at the new apartment. And um, well, actually, no, I had to I had to drive a truck from the U-Haul place to in Portland to my apartment because um, they were going to charge a thousand dollars to drop them. To, ha to have a truck to drop the U-Haul boxes from the U-Haul place to my apartment. I was like, I will drive the truck. I'm not paying a thousand dollars. So, um, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I got an apartment here, uh, in uh, Southeast and, um, I've been here for about a year and a half. Um, and I got into Helioscope as like a kind of perspective, you know, trying it out kind of thing. They were, mm -hmm. they were sussing me out too. And, you know, it's kind of a trial thing where, you know, it's like three months, you know, this is, this is like, if they want to take you on to see if, you know, you would fit in well with them. And so you do like a three month thing. And, you know, but at the end of the three months, they kind of vote on whether, you know, they wanted me to be a member and I and they did. And then, um, I've been there ever since. Were there robes oh, yeah. involved? Like candles <laughs> and like what kind of what kind of voting process is this? I think it was like Survey Monkey. It was like you know email based, <laughs> so it was like nothing special. Um, uh, was it, it wasn't it wasn't a Twitter pro uh, poll? No, no, no. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was anonymous, but it was, you know, they, they do it all via email. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was just, you know, uh, I think they just, they want to make sure, it, you know, it's going to be a good fit and you know, mm -hmm. everybody's feeling, feeling happy and safe and everything. So yeah, so I've been going in not as often as I should, um, you know, once a week, but I should be going in a lot more than that. 
Um, yeah. And it's just nice to be around other people doing comics and kind of be able yeah. to talk about comics. And sometimes somebody would be like, we need reference for this. And then a bunch of us walk over and do a, a scene together. We're acting out, you yeah. know, which is really fun. And uh, it's just so unusual. Cause like in upstate New York where I was doing comics and I was like the only person doing comics the way I was doing them, I would have like people come over for a photo shoot. And that's just like the weird thing I was doing in Rochester. And like now I'm in like this group of people and they all do the same thing. And it's nice just to be around that. So yeah, it's I mean it is interesting how the um I think the digital the digital tools once again are have really brought the photographic reference into comic books at a level that has been a long you know, a long time since the old illustrators were doing sort of a complete sort of comp from photos. Um, I mean, you kind of half answered it, but what was the, what, like, what was your intention and what do you want to get out of the experience of being there? Um, I think it's just, for me, it's like a place that feel that like, you know, keeps me excited about comics and keeps me inspired. Mm -hmm. Um, and keeps me social. I mean, I live, I have a one bedroom by myself and it's just like, you can go a little insane. I mean, especially over like pandemic, you know, it's just like, we're social animals. We have to be around people. So it's nice to be around other comic artists and writers and stuff because, you know, uh, otherwise I would go crazy. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I I was talking with Liana Kangas not too long ago and she was like, oh, I'm I'm getting a studio. So I was like, you got to come back. Like she'd been on the show like two years ago. And I was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Come on back. Let's talk about this because it's a big change to take your work world from your, you know, (laughs) the other side of your bedroom or wherever you have it stashed in your home Mm -hmm. to put it into another environment with and she's doing it with somebody else so she wasn't alone in another space which it's an interesting thing where you are able to gain a lot of energy mm-hmm. when working around other people doing a similar task yeah yeah for sure and it, it's it's kind of the um like the art school feeling you know of working alongside other students you know mm-hmm. like doing an all-nighter with people, you know, everybody's working on their projects. And it's just like a really nice kind of team feeling that you don't really get as an adult. And so I think, I think places like Helioscope is pretty much like as close as we can get as adults to that kind of feeling, you know, like, you know, people doing creative things all all together. And um, it's just, it's a, it's a nice, it's kind of like something I've been chasing for a long time that, you know, I had for a couple of years in Rochester, but you know, they don't really last a lot of the time people move away. And so uh, it's just nice to be around that. Yeah, that, I, I think that's, that's very, very cool. They, in Atlanta, there was a uh, Gaijin Studios mm-hmm. with Brian Stelfreeze and Adam and Dave and all these oh, guys. Nice. And that was this revolution because it hadn't been since like the seventies, it seemed since there was like a studio with a bunch of really good artists working together. And, and Helioscope has a wide variety of like people in there. It's not just like, that was a very sort of like age considerate group. Like everybody was within plus minus a couple of years of each other, except for Brian, who was a few years older. And, um, but so they were all kind of, growing together 
as right. young artists. And uh, helioscopats kind of a, a range of people who are, you know, wizened as myself and those who are much younger and kind of doing mm-hmm. their thing. And I think that's yeah. kind of cool. It is. It's nice. Was that, was that part of your intention of heading to Portland? Like, you're like, hey, oh, this yeah. is it? or Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I didn't know I was going to be able to get into Helioscope, but I... I knew somebody who was in there and I had talked to Steve and I just, you know, I, I thought this is, this is a good place to be. Yeah. No, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. So I guess you, so you moved there during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. No, well, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how was that? Like that must've been slightly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I still wear a mask in most yeah. places and I, <laughs> I'm like the weirdo now, but, um, it, so it's not really over to me, but I just feel like I, it's just kind of endemic now. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's officially the case, but, um, I don't think it's going anywhere. So I think it's just like, now if I'm like at a movie theater, I will wear a mask and nobody's wearing a mask at right. movie theaters anymore, but I'm like, I, I don't, I just, just it just seems illogical not to at this point. I'm just like, you're going to be sitting in a room for two hours marinating with like 300, 400 other people. Mm-hmm. Like who are sitting really close together. I'm like, I just don't, I, why would you risk COVID just to sit at a movie? Like, you know what I mean? That doesn't seem worth yeah. it. Like, so, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a weird few years. Um, yeah. A weird few for everybody. Yeah. I think it is an endemic and, but it's like, was it 105 years ago there wasn't a flu and then there was a flu and then you know we've been living with that ever since and now we'll be living with this forever you know for the next is that true there, there was no flus before that it was the spanish flu that's the flu that we have that's is the first flu yeah there's like five ver- ver- varieties or variants oh. of the spanish flu like yeah. so they they sort of like evolved independently after the after the outbreak and that's what keeps kind of going around is that's the flu so i'm sure there are other viral infections but what we call the flu is the spanish flus you know great great grandchildren wow yeah Yeah. i mean i think it's just going to be one of those things where we get a vaccine every year or every half a year and yeah whatever it is i mean like maybe it's gonna be a double shot where they give you the flu and that thing at the same time i don't know i got that's what i've been doing I got I got both of my arm. <laughs> and it, oh my god, I was so unhappy for like one day. I was like, I don't feel good, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a, whatever it happened. It's a thing. I mean, there are far worse things that you have to get shots for. So, all right, you're a Portland native now. You know all the best coffee spots, and and the best places to get Korean tacos. I'm making that up. I don't know if there's such a thing. <laughs> well, I don't know about Korean tacos. I know there's a really good Chinese place that I just got um, dumplings from that was awesome. And uh, another thing, I can't remember. It's, it's the rice porridge, and I can't remember the name of it now. But I got it because I was like, I've never heard of this. And then I tried it. It's delicious. And it's good, um, right? Really good. Uh, and then, yeah, there's there's all these food pods everywhere in Portland. Like, Oh, my God. Just, like. He's like it's parking lots is like full of food carts and they're all it's amazing. amazing. So it's, yeah, it's Hawaiian it's one food. of the best things. Yeah. Come on, Caitlin. How much Hawaiian mm-hmm. food have you had before you moved there? 
I haven't had any Hawaiian food since I got here. Well, you can get Hawaiian food in a parking lot. Yeah, I'm sure. It's great. Um, I've not actually not visited any comic shops there. I've gone Mm -hmm. to Powell's. I'm going to have to hit you up for the good comic book spots when I uh, go out there next. Yeah, for sure. Pictures, that's a big one. Yeah. Didn't you do the event with Helioscope this last weekend, right? I didn't. Um, I think that was Ben Dewey and Steve's neighbor. I think they did something there last oh, year, okay. like portfolio reviews or something. Or uh, yeah, I don't know. But there's you know there's tons of events there, and um, it's a big community thing. Yeah, but there's a lot of good spots here. I think there's like Cosmic Monkey is another one that's really good. Um, yeah, there's there's a ton. No, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very cool town, and you need to do a trip out to Bend. Cause it's mm-hmm. really very cool. And I'll, I'll tell you where to go for the, some amazing Thai food. If you do go, Ooh, it's, nice. it's a, it's a I, you already have great Thai food where you are, but there's a really good yeah. spot there. So what are you working on now? Uh, right now I'm working on the last leg of a DC short story thing. It's like those um, backups at the end of issues the, mm-hmm. that I've been doing. So I'm on the last backup and then I'm also working with two different publishers on some original ideas that I want to do the writing and drawing for. Um, so I'm kind of trying to steer more towards my own stuff because I, I'm getting a little bit burnt out doing other people's stuff right now. Well, so. you, 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 you jumped all over my next direction, which was <laughs> writing your own stuff. Mm-hmm. So the elephant headed princesses and <laughs> you know fatal fairies dreamer has to have stories in their head how's that going and what what is your thought process and self-talk to get you into this it's hard i mean i i've never really written before i i mean i wrote a short story for boom for uh buffy the vampire slayer uh back in 2020 and that's what convinced me that I should try to write because I really enjoyed it. And it's almost not fair because like, I felt like it worked because I know that whole universe like so fucking well, like I could write a million stories about the Buffy universe. Like I, I'm a giant nerd. Um, but it just got me excited, you know, and I thought, Oh, I, and I, and I felt like I, I, I don't know how good it is now. I haven't like looked back at it, but it just, you know, it kind of lit that spark for me. Mm-hmm. It, it it's tough um granting yourself the permission to do the thing that you haven't done is not an easy task that whole imposter syndrome which plagues us through life about so many of the creative things that we try is really loud when it is something that is a step or two away from the thing that you have a piece of paper that says you can do it. Mm-hmm. But like all those slices of all those skill sets that we were talking about earlier that you can put into something else mm-hmm. and like having that intrinsic narrative of your place in the, the familial timeline, because it's a fractured timeline, mm-hmm. all that stuff comes together when you say, all right, I can do this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also when you work really hard at one skill and then you become kind of a perfectionist or you're like really hard on yourself about whatever it is that you're doing, like it's really hard to go back to square one and be bad at something. For sure. So like, 
I think that's where a lot of the anxiety for me is, is like just acknowledging that I'm going to be doing some bad stuff and it's just mm-hmm. gotta be that way because you can't do the bad stuff. You can't do the good stuff without having first done the bad stuff. So like, yeah, you know, um, not that I'm aiming to be, to write bad stories. I just mean like, you got to give yourself a break and like realize that you're not going to write your magnum opus the first time around. <laughs> so. No, but it's super important. You're going to be a better comic book artist if you write something yeah because you're going and the the super upgrade level is write a comic book story for somebody else to draw yeah yeah it's 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 super exciting like the idea of crafting your own story yeah like just in this like short period of our conversation i'm thinking like i want to see the elephant-headed princess story like not saying that you have to write what you came up with when you were six but that vision is pretty strong Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's there's a lot i that there's a lot in my world my in my head that i'd like to get out that feels more like me than what i've been drawing so i just Mm -hmm. kind of want to i want to draw and i think it'll help me find my own voice as well because i think I think I adapt my style to other people's visions uh, too too much. So I I kind of am excited to see what happens when I draw, like what I want to draw. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the best time in the history of comics to do it. Yeah, it seems that way. And you know, again, not to not to disparage the collaboration stuff because that, that's all been great too, and I've learned a ton. But like, um. You know, like, I mean, working for Jeff Lemire, are you kidding? Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, he, he's how did that happen? Let me just ask you how that happened. I mean, I did. I mean, I was working on Bliss at the time, which is the second image series that I did with Sean Lewis. And then um, I had a friend who worked in comics and knew that they were reviewing submissions or that they were getting, they were, you know, gathering submissions, like portfolio submissions for consideration for the artist for Black Hammer Reborn. Um, and he said, you know, you should, you should send your portfolio along to this guy. And so I did. And then, um, I didn't even know what it was for. He just said, you're, he just said, you're going to want to do this. And I was like, okay. So I sent my portfolio along with like bliss and coyotes and stuff. Um, I think it was just bliss actually. Uh, and then, yeah. And then I got the job and then he told me what it was and I was like, holy crap. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So. Um, I think that's like one of those situations where like once you've published enough that you're starting to get some eyeballs, then you're kind of, you kind of have your foot in the door and then you start it, you know, then it's like people semi know your work and then they kind of recommend you for things. And that's when that sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that was really lucky. Wow. But there's a, a phrase that uh, enthusiasm is 10 extra IQ points. So, you know, so I think you can translate that into when you're excited about some a project and the people mm-hmm. you're working with, it's going to make things better just out of that nature because you all become smarter in the process. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be writing up the storm this spring, mm-hmm. coming up with a story. 
I mean, you probably already have a store. You just need to put it all down. Right. You have projects lined up for the this year? Um, yeah, they're, they're not quite lined up. Like basically I'm, in, I'm still in pitch, pitch mode, but I'm kind mm-hmm. of going back and forth with publishers about it. And like, you know, they're helping me kind of flesh it out for cool. kind of like go, go through the, the teams, you know, to, to get officially accepted. So this is all very like, this is all, you know, um, still potential stuff. Not actual Yeah, stuff. sure. Yeah. Irons, lots of irons. Yes. Yeah. It's a chore but it's a good chore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. So you seem to be happy in Portland, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, I love it here. I mean, the only thing that's kind of a bummer is like, I'm pretty close to my family and they're not close. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know if I'll be able to stay here forever. Cause I just feel like I'd like to be around them at some point, you know, um, again. So we'll see how things go. All right. Well, so where can people find you, Caitlin? I am on Twitter, Instagram, um, and my handle is just my name. So, yeah. Yep. It'll be in the description along with your website as well. Mm-hmm. What can people expect to see out there next? It's a good question. I, again, I have, I have one more short story for DC and then. Okay. Can you say what book it is so they would at least know what to look for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it's Shazam, uh, with Doc Shaner, and oh, okay. Uh, so Josie Campbell is writing the the backups for those um, that I'm working on. So, yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, really, for spending it with, here talking, and uh, it was really great to get to know you a little. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, all right? Yeah, you too. Thanks.